Hello, hello, hello. Guess what? It's the 100th episode of the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, and it's the beginning of a new year. And so it seemed fitting to me to celebrate this milestone and to bring in the new year by chatting with two female pastor preachers about guess what? Yes, women, specifically women in the line of Christ. Laura and Melissa took their church through the series on women during Advent, you know, the thing we did back in December. And when I found out about it, it was like, what? Like, I don't think I've ever heard of women preaching on women through the season of Advent or actually any season for that matter. Have you? And that made me wonder, what happens to our understanding of our faith when we center the women? What happens when we hear women's voices proclaiming God's truth through a female perspective from the stories of women in the Bible? Well, that's exactly what I wanted to find out. So here we go. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of The Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Today, as I said, we're talking with Laura Taro and Melissa Duncan. And Laura and I met in seminary. She has two master's degrees, one from Northern and the other from Trinity out in Chicago. And she's a licensed pastor with the Evangelical Covenant Church and the founding pastor of Bethany Covenant Church. And Melissa is a hospital chaplain and a licensed pastor with the Evangelical Covenant Church. And she is currently a student at North Park Theological Seminary, and she's completing her master's in divinity. So let's welcome them. Okay, so Laura and Melissa, I want our audience to hear a little bit about your journey into the pastor, because it's it's not really that normal to have women in leadership, particularly in the Protestant vein of Christianity. Um, So tell us a little bit about how you got there, what your experience has been. Hmm. That's such a good question. Um, I think I came to the pastoral role um, late in my 40s. but also I've been in ministry since I've been in my early twenties. And I would say now looking back, I've been a pastor all along. Like, I don't think I have radically changed my approach to ministry. I think the style of ministry I do is exactly the same. I think that I didn't have the title and I didn't view myself as a pastor um, until God made that abundantly clear that that's exactly what he was calling me to. And then I had to go through all my own internal emotional response to that call um, because it's terrifying, or at least it was for me to call myself a pastor because I knew that is. Yeah. For me, I knew that it potentially was going to cause relational breaks with some people who are very close to me. Um, I knew that it probably meant we couldn't stay in the same church we were part of. Um, it, it 
was going to be a radical shift of before and after. Um, if Even I was choosing, what you were doing wasn't changing. I functionally, ministering, right? Yeah, functionally, exactly the same. It well, was to identify yourself with that title was yes. going to blow up some things for you. Yes, absolutely. Sorry about that. Yeah. I'm really kind of particular now that I'm older. I have this freedom. I can't wait till I'm 70 because like all the wheels are going off. <laughs> but I have decided maybe 15 years ago, I was going to start identifying women that I could see the, the pastor gifting in. And I was going to yeah. start calling them pastor. And I've watched women when I call them that name. If they haven't been given it by the church, there's a shock. There's a sense of they almost physically move back from me like, whoa. Do not know. Um, but I've had them call me later, sometimes years later, and say, I went home and cried. I've always known that's what I was, but no one ever, I didn't allow myself to say it, and no one identified it. And so having someone call it out for them and give them that, if you will, identity, label, calling, whatever we want to say, gifting, was a, was a mm, turning point in their trajectory, actually. So yeah, it sounds ridiculous, isn't it? But the title is scary. <laughs> it really is. That's a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. So Melissa, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So mine was, has been a pretty indirect understanding of my calling. I think mostly because um, I never could have envisioned it before. I hadn't seen women who were pastoring. Um, I, you know, as a kid identified this desire to follow God with my whole life, to be in ministry, to um, be sharing, sharing the good news with people. And, and so figuring out how to do that was the task. And so for a long time, I, it was missions. I, that was a, a space that I could imagine myself in. And um, I've often reflected now, like if I, had a different understanding of my ability to be a pastor graduating from college. Would I have gone, would I have gone overseas or would I have gone straight in a seminary? And it's hard to say, but I um, ended up living overseas uh, for a couple years and throughout the course of that just felt like, I really feel like I would be more effective if I could like be with my own people and in my own language and like people I really understand, but how can I do that? How, how can I actually minister in that way? And so um, moved back, ended up working in the nonprofit world because that's where strong Christian female leaders end up hiding out. And so that's where I was for a while. Popping out. You see, I don't, I don't think they're hiding at all. I think they're popping out. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gifting in the church. So what we see and for yeah. all of you listening, all of those ministries you're listening to out there of women, powerful women with huge ministries like Beth Moore, If Gathering, blah, blah, blah. Those are people who've popped out of the church because yeah. the yeah. church didn't have space for their gifting. Yeah. 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 And even as I have begun, began to kind of imagine ministry within the church, pastoral ministry, there's still always been a part of myself of like, wouldn't that be easier? to just be a nonprofit or parachurch ministry, wouldn't that be easier than this? Like what Laura was talking about, being a pastor does uh, create this separation, this distance from 
previous communities and certain relationships. And so, but it really took, um, I, I began working part-time in a church in more of a support role, but be leading and, and using my gifts to a certain degree and uh, decided I felt like I needed to go to seminary. And the more I uh, was able to use some of my gifts and then began to actually meet some women, um, it took having that imagination of like, oh, oh, I could actually do that. And this thing that I've been like, just feeling so pulled towards, drawn towards, um, like maybe just maybe I, I, it is actually the thing that I should be doing. And um, so it's been a very gradual process for me and gradually stepping into using my gifts and, and being willing to accept when people have named it for me and also being willing to understand some of the people that I was looking at, wanting them to, to, to name that in me just can't, they, they couldn't, the, the gymnastics that it would take to identify giftedness in me without uh, relating it to pastoring can be quite extensive. And so uh, it really has been just kind of like hacking my own path through the jungle and not a direct path into pastoring. And I was have been so grateful just meeting Laura and other women who are pastoring and willing to stand with me and, and support me as I've been doing it. Yeah. We have to see it in order to be it. Mm -hmm. I love what you said. It takes some imagination. It also takes being able to see other women do it and go, okay, wait a minute. I'm not alone. I feel like a freak. It turns out I'm not. There's other <laughs> women out there, you know? Um, why, why do you think, I think sometimes well, what I have heard, and, and I'm sure you have too, is that when women want to be in the pulpit or want to be the pastor. They're, they're just grabbing for power. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and they want that powerful position. Um, I know for me, that was absolutely not true, right? I was already running a women's ministry, a thousand women, which is actually, a, it would be normal, huge church for most people around the world, yeah. right? And I loved what I did. And I got pulled into the pastor. In fact, I had to submit to my leadership to, you know, say yes when they asked me. And immediately was, she wants the power of the pulpit. And it was like, mm. no, actually, I don't. I just happened to be gifted at it. Yeah. You know, in fact, I'd love to run away from it because I know what it's going to cost me, you know. Yeah. So what do you think it is about? I mean, is it important that we have the title? I guess is my question. Besides the fact that there's a tax write-off, people, you may not know this, but if you don't have the title, you can't write the tax off and all the men get to write off their taxes. So there's a financial actually benefit to it, reality, but why is it important? Is it because we're just grabbing for the power? No. I mean, most women I know that pastor um, came to it with a sense of reluctance um, because of the relational cost. I mean, I find that to be largely the case. Um, I think the reason why it matters to have the title, and I fully endorse women becoming pastors and using their titles, um, because it, it gives other women a chance to see women in a pastoral role. Um, and I think it benefits men as well. I think there is value in both men and women seeing women 
take on this kind of role. And I think women inhabit this role differently. Um, and, and it's as unique, you know, to each individual person, everyone pastors differently. Um, so not all women pastor the same, but they definitely pastor differently than men. And I think there's, there's value in that. And I think it is even more fundamentally a way that we honor the work of God. And so I think by refusing to use that title, um, we are denying a gift of the spirit. And um, because the church has chosen a specific title for someone in this kind of capacity, um, I think if the spirit gives those gifts, then we ought to honor it by using the same title. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's important. And I know there are a lot of warm women and I, this was true of me for many years, decades uh, that are filling that function, but don't have that title. And um, don't that's have the title, a, also don't have the, the paycheck that comes with that. Yes. Or the write-ups on taxes, right? Or even the respect and authority that comes with that position. Right. And it's the huge. Right. They might have the responsibility, but they don't have all the other things. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're being utilized and I would say overutilized and under um, recognized. Yes. For what they are. And I think there's a really important piece to that, too, where your congregation then is confused. And so there's a lot of women who are pastoring, but under these coordinator director roles. And I, I haven't met anybody who is like grabbing and just one is like, it's, I, it's about the name for me, but they're have- pastoring and their congregation doesn't know it. And right. so and they're struggling with understanding the support and care and leadership that they can get from these women because because a, a direct a coordinator what is that like are you are you planning my activities like can i come to you with this need and i remember getting like a christmas card from a, a somebody that i had been really actively pastoring and walking through and they were like you're like you're such a good friend like they they didn't they didn't have language to identify what it was and but it was so important to them that they they wanted to name it and they just didn't have a category. And so I think we're limiting and and actually hurting our congregation from having their needs met too when they, they can't understand what it is the women are doing. Yeah, and it just makes me think of Barack and Deborah, right? Mm-hmm. Like he basically said, I'm not going unless you go with me because he understood that she had this prophetic wisdom judge connection with God that he was like, I can't go into that war without your leadership. I cannot, will not. Right. And so he understood there was something about this woman's leadership and connection to God that not only did he need to be successful, but actually the nation of Israel needed to be successful. And I wonder how much of that we're actually missing out on in small ways and big ways in the congregation when men have never been um, given the opportunity because actually it's been stolen from them, right? But given the opportunity to actually be around Deborah's in their life yeah. and not always have to feel like they've got to carry the war, the whole war of the life on their own shoulders, that there are powerhouse women that can help them carry it and lead them. Mm. You know, what That's would so good. Do? Yeah. That's so good, Jackie. You know, one of the questions I get from time to time is about pastoral care. Um, and this has come up in a few different places, but whether or not a female pastor can provide pastoral care to men. Mm. And 
um, it's fascinating to me because in my capacity as a pastor, I have had pastoral care conversations with men and it has struck me multiple times. They couldn't receive this from another guy. Like the, the kinds of questions I am asking, the way that I am inviting them into um, hearing God's voice, I think that we're having a different conversation than they would have with a male pastor. Yes. And without my inhabiting this role as a pastor, there wouldn't be a, a space to have this conversation. Um, so, and it, you know, that's one piece of it. The other piece is Men have provided pastoral care to women alone in their offices forever, <laughs> and nobody asked the question. Right. So um, I, I do think there's a place for it. And I mean, we need to be wise. We need to be careful. Yep. But I, I think that um, there's benefit from it. I think that, that sometimes there are, I just have the sense that no, no one has ever had the capacity to ask these men these questions. Um, and they're responding to me because I'm able to. Right. And they have been socialized in such a way that when they are in relationships with other men, it's a competition. Right. And there's a less ability to show vulnerability because that communicates um, effeminate behavior or weakness. Right. But they are allowed to express that with a woman. It's right. a very different experience. And so actually they're missing out. And I he what I hear, I hope our listeners are hearing is, this is about a call. This is about gifting. And, and it's beneficial to both women in the congregation. I can't even remember the first time I preached in a church, mega church up in New York, this uh, there for an hour, for an hour afterwards, there was a line and almost all of them women. But this little girl came up to me. She must have been 10 years old. And she said, I've never seen a woman preach and one with curly hair because she had, she had curly hair. And you know, it's not a woman. So she was like, but I knew what she was, light bulbs were going off in her head. Like, oh, wait, this is a possibility. You yeah. know, so it's, it's showing what the possibility is for women. And it's, it's offering an opportunity for our brothers. It's, 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 it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Okay, so you guys got a hold of me and you told me that during this past Advent season, you had decided to do a series on the line of women in the of, in Jesus's genealogy. Yeah. Um, so uh, how come? <laughs> like, that's not your normal Advent season series. Yeah. Well, Melissa and I were having a meeting and kind of going over options. We follow the lectionary at our church. So um, I was like, well, we could just do the lectionary for the Advent season. Um, but in my head, and I don't know, Melissa, if you brought this out or if I did, but we were like, we have two female pastors. Like, when is this ever going to happen again? Um what if we just did something totally different and preach through the women in the line of Christ? And selfishly, I'm like, I want to preach these women. I think Melissa and I were both like, we're going to have to arm wrestle to see who gets which, yeah. women, you know, which woman, because these are such fascinating stories to tell. Um, and it's just, it's been a delight. I don't know, Melissa, if you've got something else that you remember about that. Yeah, I think for me, it was, uh, you had kind of suggested it and I just immediately latched onto that idea because I remember um, a couple years ago at a church that I was at, uh, a, a male pastor uh, preached and just did this like scattershot preached on women, a bunch of women through the Bible. And 
um, his intent was to be really pastoral. Like he really wanted to be caring, but his, his focus ended up being that like in all these women are fallenness and pain and in God, there is redemption through basically the men in their life, you know? And, and it was, it, it was so hard. It was the hardest sermon I've ever sat through. And, um, and yet women, women after we had a really mixed feedback, but I remember one woman in particular was like, that was so meaningful to me because I've never heard those names before. And I thought, wow, even in this, this sermon that was just like so poorly done, how important it was that you were actually seen in that, that that was so moving because you like, you didn't even know they existed. uh, Some of the ones that have been preached on. And so the importance of like, naming those names, but then also like redeeming their stories from how they're often told. I think when Laura suggested, I was like, yeah, we get to, we get to do this. So why wouldn't we? Yeah. So talk about how in the past, uh, and this is changing. We're starting to Mm -hmm. see, I, you know, I've been in ministry almost, well, I have been in ministry 30 years and the way we're talking about the women now, first of all, we're talking about them and uh, we are talking about them in different light. What has been the traditional way we've wrapped their stories? I mean, you mentioned kind of damsel in distress. Damsel in distress or uh, seductress. (laughs) you know, sinner as low as you can get. I think we love the, the redemption story of like this woman who is as bad and, and sexually promiscuous as you can get. Jesus even loves her. Like (laughs) we love those stories. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. That is how, how we have painted those stories and they're starting to get retold. And much of that is because we have women going back to seminary. Or I should say, we have women going to seminaries. Yes. Um, in yes. Florida, and they're starting to ask different questions and research is, they're, they're researching different things mm-hmm. and coming up with a better, bigger, more nuanced picture of these women's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I hear you saying, Melissa, was like, the women were like, yay, I've never even heard these names. And that was encouraging. That was a light bulb. There's women in the Bible, right? Ooh, right. Never <laughs> heard those. It was couched in this traditional way, which is damsel in distress or massive seductress, because that's all women can be, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was what you were mourning about is like, that's really what you see in that story. Um, I want to commend that your pastor even did something on the women in the Bible, because it's mm-hmm. very unusual yeah. to hear a story. We know this statistically that most of the uh, pulpits in conservative evangelical world are um are male. Uh, I think the percentage is uh, in the 11,000 congregations, they did a report, 12% of the U.S. congregations have a female in the pulpit as a senior pastor. In evangelical churches, it's 9%. And in parachurch organizations, it's 18% holding the senior executive leadership position. So it's really un- unusual to have women, like you guys saying, two women in the in the pulpit. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> It's unusual to have one, you know? Right. And, and and because of that, men rarely tell the stories of women. They tell the stories of men in the scriptures. And predominantly, if you look at the Bible, it's androcentric. It, it is male dominated, right? So you can find more stories. So we don't have a lot of stories that have been told about women. What do you think has been um, 
the hindrance of not, of not hearing their stories. What, what have we lost? What is the community lost that we're starting to gain back by what you guys are doing, by the way? Yeah. I think hearing the examples of these women who expressed and articulated a deep faith in God and how their expressions of faith were pretty countercultural for their moment. Um, the word that comes to mind, and Jackie, I know you, you've heard this at Northern Seminary a lot, but the word is agency, that these women were actively expressing agency um, in ways that were unexpected in their culture, but they were doing it because of their deep faith in God. And so they're taking risks, they're doing things outside of their cultural norms, um, but they're doing it because they believe that God is good and that God is faithful. Um, and so I think for the women in the congregation to hear these stories and to know that these women aren't timid, um, they're not without abilities, um, you know, they're not just the back part of the story, but they, God is using these women to change the course and the trajectory of the biblical story. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. I think that's important for women to know um, that they, God has a role for them too. God has expectations of them as followers. They're not secondary followers of God. They are themselves followers of God. Um, I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Melissa? Anything you think that we've missed or is valuable about hearing the stories? Yeah, I think that we we lose when we lose women in those stories. And there's there's some really subversive accounts of women and, and how Jesus treated women throughout Scripture. Uh, I think we lose uh, women, the importance of women's women in the work of God and in um like going back to the garden, like what we were assigned to do and to be together, men and women, and we, we've lost that and, and women lose, uh, I like that word agency, their own agency in being participants in the gospel. And, um, but they were there all along. They were there all along. And even, even to a degree that was subverting culture at that time. And so I think it's really, really important that women see that and that we restore uh, who, who we were created to be really. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I don't know if our audience knows this, but in the Bible, there is um, only 14,000 words spoken by women and mm -hmm. that includes women in the, not, not the whole stories about women, but actual words of women, 14,000 from the old Testament, new Testament. And if we include the Apocrypha, 14,000, which is 1.2% uh, of the words wow. in the scriptures. And if I spoke 120 words per minute, I could say all the words the women have said in scripture that we have recorded in two hours. Wow. And interesting, most of the women's voices we have recorded in the scriptures are women who are unconventional, like they're not married. A lot of them aren't married or they're barren or they're prostitutes, uh, roles that are kind of fringe. And maybe it's yeah. the fringeness that's allowed them to use their voice. Mm. Um, but what I find interesting is in light of the fact that these women's stories fall into a society that was patriarchal, right? Where, where women's voices, agency, was limited and usually permitted underneath the authority of some male giving them the permission, right? And what we have is this recording of 14,000 words 
in the middle of that. And we should pay very close attention in light of the snuffing out erasure of history of women's voices. These stories should be screaming at us because they were kept. When there's something about them that doesn't just tell us about women, and that's really key because we're part of God's image bearing, you know, missions, but, but it also tells us something about God that we need yes. to know we're missing. Yes. Like those stories are not being heard. Um, and in a frame, uh, a lens that doesn't always categorize women as either sexually immoral or, you know, weak and needy for a dancer mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. waiting for the, the prince on the white horse. Um, <laughs> I've always been the person wanting to be on the horse, not the person waiting for the prince. Right. <laughs> Um, I just think it's fascinating. So what do you think? um, So you've chosen this series and how have people responded um, to this choice? I mean, what are some things that positively and even negatively or even things that you think, oh, they have no idea what they're really saying to me when they say that? You know what I mean? (laughs) What do you think, Melissa? Well, I think people have been excited. I I initially was kind of anticipated like, oh, is there going to be pushback here, but we have had people really engaged. I think from my side, I've just heard people be like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And and like opening their Bibles as like, I've, I had a couple people after I, I preached um, on one of the women just being like, oh, I was like rereading the whole, like, is that in there? Is that's in there? Like they just, they had no idea. And they felt like they knew that story. And so that's been really interesting to just see the surprise and real, real genuine curiosity about it. And what I love about that is it says to people, and as a woman who teaches people to preach, I tell them all the time, if you pick a passage that everybody thinks they know, you better find something in there and go to a lens that they don't know. Because what it does is it drives them back and go, wait a minute, maybe I should come to all the texts with more curiosity than I'm doing. Maybe I've started to yawn at hearing the story, right? And I've stopped asking good questions of the text. Mm. What happens when we think we know the story? So often when I teach one of these women, I'll say, I know you think you know the story, but you don't know it at all. Right. <laughs> oh, that's good. And here we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> what about you, Laura? What do you think? I, I think, yeah, I think similarly to Melissa, I think that part of the beauty of sharing these stories is that people don't know them. They don't, they don't know the full context. They don't know why these stories are included. Um, or they think they're weird. They're weird stories. Listen, Tamar and Judah is a weird story. Rahab is a weird story. Like all Bathsheba, that's an uncomfortable story. Like these, all of these stories, or, and we just heard Ruth this last similar. Yeah. Like that, it, it's more familiar and we think we know what's happening in that story, but there's a lot more subtext happening there. And so I think it's been fun to watch people wrestle um, with these unfamiliar stories and to ask themselves, why are these in here? Why are these in scripture? What did, and I think your question about what do we learn about God from the stories of these women is, is where we want people to land. Right. Um, what, what does this tell us about who God is and that most of these women were marginalized. Like you said, they were on the fringe of the fringe and God centers them in these stories. And why is that? And what are we supposed to take away from that um, 
when we don't tell those stories, we are we are refusing to center what God centers. And so that's that's work we have to do. I remember when I was at Northern and I took the Old Testament class and and our professor mentioned that there's 111 women in the Old Testament. I thought, now, mind you, this is my third seminary degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, wait a minute. have not heard these names, you know, and then we went back through the story of Exodus, you know, and I, and she concentrated us on Exodus one through four. Yeah. You know, normally the story of Exodus is about Moses setting his people free, you know, through God's power, right? Liberation. I mean, the the book of Exodus is all about liberation, deliverance, right? And so we focus straight on the the star of the movie, which is Moses, you know, we even have movies about him so we can see it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, until she slowed me down and made me read and see the text, see the story, you know, uh, there's so many women in the story of Exodus about liberation and what God's liberation is to look like and what it's going to require through these women's stories before we even get to Moses. And what I realized was, oh, my God, the template of deliberation for God's people was set by the women before Moses mm. even put up on the sea. Yes. Whoa. (laughs) But you got to slow down and actually look for what you've been taught not to see. Yeah. You know, so this is like bringing up these stories. It like it's challenging our congregation to say, stop and look at things you've not ever paid attention to before. Because there's a story here about God that he wants to say, not just in antiquity, but to us, to us. There's something in there for us personally, you know. So one of the things you said to me, Laura, you said, um, why, you know, you, you, you wondered why should women in the pastorate do a whole series on women? Um, you know, that, that question could be posed to you. Why, yeah. why would you do that? Yeah, I, this was a concern I had, and it's a concern I have in the back of my head a lot because I love teaching the stories of women in scripture. Um, in part because of what we've been talking about here, because I have learned so much and it's a discovery of things that I feel like have been missed and overlooked. So it's very hard for me to skip over these women. We preached through um, a good chunk of the Old Testament over the summer. And I, Melissa and I kept saying like, there's, there's so many women in here and we can't, we don't want to not tell their stories, but also we're two female pastors and we're constantly preaching on women. Like, is that, is that okay? Um, because, because what you can hear in people's minds is you feminist, you, mm-hmm. yes, you're, you're on a, you're on a, uh, a rant about women. You're mm-hmm. pushing this down people's throats. You're trying yes. to make a point, right? Yeah. 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 See, this is the interesting thing that goes on with us pastors who teach on this stuff, right? We know what the, what the backstory that we could hear is you're, you're promoting something. You've got an agenda. Yes. Uh-huh. And that's what I'm afraid of. Um, so that's, I think that's a question that I've had a lot is like, is it okay? Like when Melissa and I were so excited about doing this Advent series, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Like after the, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I can't wait to do this. The next thought is, is it okay for us to do this mm-hmm. uh, for all of these reasons? And um, I think it's absolutely okay and it needs to be done. I think that I also want to be sensitive to that question of, are you pushing an agenda? Mm. Um, I listen, it's in scripture. 
I think this is this. If there's an agenda, I think it's God's agenda. And so I think it's okay. But I also want to be sensitive. I'm a pastor. I've got a whole congregation. And so part of this is um, like, how do I navigate that with people to make sure that they have a sense that this is okay? And I think part of it is in the approach to say, yeah, these these are stories that God has centered. It's worth us paying attention. It's worth us slowing down and and listening and learning from what God's trying to teach us here. Um, I don't know, Melissa, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's not an agenda so much as it's like there's a pastoral shepherding need. This is there's a wound that exists between men and women and our understanding of ourselves that uh, that's begging to be healed. And so I think part of that is being able to share these stories. Part of that is women teaching them, because if we're if we're being real as women, we're used to imagining ourselves in stories of men, I think it's a lot harder for men. And so me teaching about Tamar as a woman, being able to imagine her vulnerability in that moment is so critical for our brothers to have a full understanding of the story. And I think it's just, so I think there's healing for men and there's healing for women in our congregation. Uh, I mean, I remember my my very first seminary class when my Old Testament professor, day one, opened in prayer, and he prayed to God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, um, Hagar, and and just, I started crying. And I'm like, why am I crying? Right, right. I wasn't feeling emotional. Why am I crying? And it was just like that moment of being included in this faith and the God being mine representatively was a healing moment. And I think, so I think there's almost an imperative for us, like to provide healing moments. Like it's not an agenda, but it is a shepherding imperative that we That's have. Said. Yeah. And I think even in that, that brings me up to, you know, how we socialize men and the fact that they have a harder time finding their story in a female story, even though, by the way, they're called the bride of Christ, mm. you know, mm. um, it, we could even ask when we when we teach and preach on these stories, hey, some of you guys may find this difficult, right? Like we might want to ask why. What, what is the, what implicit biases are these revealing to us? Because we women have sat underneath male leadership and male preaching about men our whole lives and have never thought, do you have an agenda? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you promoting masculinity? You know what I mean? Like never has that question been asked. Um, and so why are we asking it? Why, why when I do what men have always done, which is preach on men and I'm preaching on women, why all of a sudden is there an agenda? Mm. Why are you having these thoughts of, you know, that we're after something? And then why is it hard for you to put yourself in the story of Tamar? I mean, God was vulnerable in the garden. He experienced vulnerability. He he was open to woundedness. Yeah. He create his creation who he created. He gave them the ability to harm him, to hurt him, mm-hmm. to wound him, right? God had vulnerability, is vulnerable. Jesus experienced and showed vulnerability, right? So yeah, Tamar is showing what it means to be weaker in a culture and have no, very little agency and control and what it looks like to be vulnerable. 
men, you too experience vulnerability. It's part of what it means to be human. It's part, and this woman allows you to be human yeah. and to experience vulnerability, mm-hmm. which your society has socialized you as men that you're not allowed to have. Yeah. We have dehumanized our men. Mm-hmm. So that's the other part to that story. It really is about shepherding, you know, and it's, it's not about an agenda, which I have to say, you know, as a woman, you have to work to get around your own internal baggage with this, right? You see, we're asking questions and we should do due diligence, but we need to recognize our own internal obstacles and bias that we're carrying when we come into the pulpit with this. Like we're so careful, we're walking on eggshells not to upset, you know? Um, So Laura, one of the things you said to me that I thought was so beautiful when we got talking is, you said, um, um, one of the things you wanted to communicate through these stories is the is to answer the question that we have, and that is, is Jesus good for women? Yeah. Is Jesus good for women? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is crucial that women hear that. Um, Melissa and I have been talking as we've been preparing this series that a lot of these stories do involve questions about um, women that have been harmed and hurt by men and and the most, you know, at the most vulnerable places in their lives. Um, and I think what's critical just there real quick, I, I want to add here. Um, yeah. Okay, let's see if I can get my thoughts together. Uh, most violence in America is committed by men. I think it's 95, 98%. I, I might not have the percentage right, but it's a really high 90. Okay. It's a high 90 people. I might not, don't, don't, you know, don't get legalistic on me. Um, and that violence is against women and other men. Yeah. And so when we're talking about males being violent towards women, um, I want to point out that they are also violent toward other men. And that yes. is, that is the majority. The, the, the percentage is male violence towards other people, onto other people. And I want to be careful. The, the thing that's interesting is when I was at the UN Commission on the Status of Women, and they had like 8,000 uh, people from all over the globe coming in to talk about what was happening to women and girls around the globe and what kind of parachurch stuff and religious stuff and governmental stuff was going on to kind of help rectify how dangerous it is to be a girl in this world. Um, one of the things they said is that we have to be very careful when we communicate that we don't shame men, that like, we're going to talk about Tamar and these women who have been harmed by men. And what the tendency is for male listeners is to go, Ooh, let me protect my gender because you're saying all men are that we're saying, no, we're not saying all men do that. And we want our brothers listening to know we love you. And we know that you are God's image bearer. We want to do this with you. And we see honor and integrity in you. And we can't wait to like hang out with you. You know, this is, (laughs) But the truth is, the fact is, the majority of violence in America is done by men, to women and other men. Yeah. And what we do see in scripture is sinful behavior usually does the deepest harm to the most marginalized or vulnerable in society. That tends to be women and children. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I had to give that no, little, no. don't leave us men. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the reality. <laughs> That's such such a good setup, Jackie. I think one of the things that we talked about as you're preparing to share these really hard stories is how do we 
how do we shepherd and care for our congregation as we're about to talk about these really sensitive topics? Because we have in our congregations, I mean, this is true of every church, we have people who have been harmed by that kind of violence, men and women. And we're about to, to share some stories that go there. Um, and that's, that's you, you know, you are inviting people to experience and probably, potentially re-experience some traumatic events in their own lives. Right. Um, and, and, but part of telling those stories is also to say, God sees these things. Mm-hmm. God, God has included these stories and God is not absent from these individuals who are experiencing this kind of harm. God is absolutely in these stories, God is good for people and marginalized people, people who have been harmed, people who have been hurt. Um, so absolutely, God is good for women. God is good for all people. Um, but I think part of telling these stories is for people who have felt in critical moments of their lives a lack of agency um, to be reminded that God tells those stories. I think that's, I, I'm not sure if I'm articulating this well, but I think for someone who's experienced great hurt and great harm to say, why are these stories in scripture? Like there's so much pain here. It's, it's, you know, part of the whole thing. And I think part of the reason they're there is because, um, God is with people and loves people and is in this restoring process, um, that God is not absent from those moments. So I think that, that, I think it needs to be said, I think for, for women to know that God sees them, even when they don't have a sense of uh, agency, a sense of control, a sense of um, maybe the ability to dictate their next steps in their lives. Like they don't feel like they have control over their own lives in some places. That's true of marginalized people in general to know that God sees them and that God um, is familiar with all of those stories and has entered into them, um, I think is incredibly powerful. And even these women's stories and all of that, and I do think just hearing the story, right? We know when we do trauma-informed in, in, and stuff like that, we having people share their stories is part of the healing of the trauma, right? So like hearing more stories, seeing the story, them hearing their story in God's story, right? Yeah. And I think one of the things God is telling people through these stories is, hey, pain and suffering is part of the human experience. Yeah. I don't like it, but it is, right? But we all want to know. And and I am with you. And I yeah. am with you, you know? And I, I think also when you really study these women's stories, they're pretty subversive. Like they yeah. don't have by by society standards, a ton of control and agency, and yet they make it, they take yeah. it, they, they maneuver and God rewards their subversive behavior in the middle of them going against what society has laid out for them and how they've been contained and controlled. It's fascinating. God they calls it. just how to be subversive. Yes. God calls it righteous. Yeah. That's the part. Like, I think we have to. Yeah. So Melissa called that out in the Tamar story. Like not only is, is God recognizing this, but God's rewarding it as righteousness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it like specifically with our series of these women, what has really just like hit me over and over is not only does God see these women and they're women who historically, they kind of represent women who would be discarded, like used and 
and set aside. And instead of discarded, like the God of the universe meshes them into the family tree, like takes divine family and just brings them right into it, like elevates them to the highest degree, really. And that's just like blows my mind. It's really been hitting me every single one that I've looked at this week. Yeah. And for women and men who have wondered if they're worthy. Yeah. Because, because their family has told them not so. And quite frankly, maybe even their church, Yeah, you know, particularly for women, they hear this subtle secondary less than story all the time. Mm-hmm. And they might want to be knowing, you know, they might need to know, am I really worthy? And God is going to be screaming through yeah. these women's stories. Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. Okay. So Melissa, um, we're going to conclude with you giving us a bit of a teaser about next week. They're going to hear you preach because one of the things I want our listeners to do is to be exposed to other women preaching and hear women preach. More and more women need to be preaching. And so you're going to be teaching on whom and what's a little teaser you could leave us with. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, next week will be Tamar. And this was so much fun to look at. Tamar, as I, as I was studying her, uh, she, it's the story that doesn't fit. You know, you're like, we're talking about Joseph all along and we have this sudden sidebar and. Okay. Hold on a second because our audience, I'm assuming they know that there's two mm-hmm. Tamars. Right. Um, can you tell them where this Tamar is? Yes. So this Tamar is in Genesis uh, 20, chapter 28. I think that's where I was <laughs> living in. Um, <laughs> in there, but she is part of, we're, we're in that storyline with um, Joseph and all of his brothers. And um, Joseph has been, he's, he's in Egypt and Judah is kind of in his family's in shambles right now. And um, Tamar experiences some pretty uh, awful, she, she marries his son. I don't know how much, how deep dive <laughs> we want to go, but um, just a tease, just a tease. Um, she is so, it's so good. All right. Let me just say this. It's really hard for a preacher to put it in a sentence. I know. Let me put it in a sentence. I just, what we see in Tamar is um, somebody who I think is looked at as a victim and her story is truly tragic. Uh, But I saw her as a survivor. And not only that, somebody like we're talking about agency. She is somebody who had no legal power, but she knew what was hers and what she was due and used the agency that she had to bring that about. And, and that was a turning point in the line of Judah also to see that righteousness. And I think um, it was just really powerful to see her doing, she's been critiqued in how she's behaved, but God called it righteousness. Yeah. And we are not going to know what to do with that because Mm -hmm. that woman had sex with Judah. She she was a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus, God says he's righteous. So I'll leave you with that one, everybody. (laughs) We're going to try to put that together because we don't usually say that about people who dress up as prostitutes and seduce a man. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to figure out exactly what God is trying to tell us through her story about him and about us. So thank you, Melissa and Laura, for being on today. I, I can't wait to hear all of these women preached by you guys. And thank you for listening, everybody. I greatly appreciate you being here. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. 
You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.